What's up, guys? Welcome back to the weekly scraps. Oh man, UFC 281 has concluded. I'm back in New York. Well, I'm, I never left. Um, amazing fights, man. I didn't even get to watch the whole card because we've just been on a just a run, and it's just been a lot of work. So a lot of work trying to get everything done, make money where we can make money. You know what I mean? And we've been super busy, man. Like, just to even give a little bit of a recap, the prelims, I was working. And then I got, like, a... I stayed after about an extra half an hour just so I can make right on the time that I got there a little bit late at Goldie's. So I went to Goldie's Tavern. But the reason I got to Goldie's Tavern late was because I had went to Cortica, then to come back, then to get changed, and then to get ready in time. It was just a zoo. So to do that... Shower up, change, get down to Goldis, down to 30th, then trying to get an Uber. Almost impossible for some reason in the city. I know they were shooting like this movie or this TV show. I, I can't, I don't remember what the paper said, but they had like those flyers because whenever I was doing like the background work, they would have the flyers just plastered all over those poles. Poles, that just sounds weird, bro. <laughs> just has, They'd have these flyers plastered on these poles. And there was be like attention. This is going to be shut down. Blah 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 blah. And it'll show the name of the show, whatnot. So I, I mean, I looked at, it, I recognized it. I didn't like read the whole thing, but yeah, they had the film crews out and things like that. So the traffic, just getting off from 45th Street and 46th Street was just insane. So having to walk with your suitcases and things like that, I'm like, this is a pain in the ass. But that day, super packed. I think they might have had like the marathon or something like that as well. I don't know exactly when, but to get the Uber down there, I just ended up just getting a cab, and then the cab took all the way around just to get back to where we were trying to go. So it was a little crazy. But we got there. Um, the bar owners, super nice dudes. I think they just said they opened up like six months ago, which was like April or May, something like that. So cool. Congrats to those guys. Thanks for having me down. The fan turnout was amazing. I was actually shocked. I'm like, I still don't know where I sit with the fans. <laughs> like... Honestly, because I still get a lot of people that talk shit, but of course I get a lot of love as well, but I didn't know how many people that actually support were going to be at this event or if they had other things already planned because was just, this was kind of put together super last minute. And I think if we had did a little bit earlier, maybe the turnout would have been bigger, um, but it was already big. It was a huge line. So we got from there, then jetted out to the fight and then we got there a little bit late. So I got there a little after seven and man, it was just electric just being in that arena from the beginning of the fight to the end. So I didn't even get to watch most of the prelims because as soon as I got to the UFC um, arena, well, to MSG, I had another event I had to do that I was getting paid for. So I had to make sure I'm doing all these obligations. And this is this is the this is the catch-22. You want to make money outside of fighting. So these are the things we got to do. And I also want to enjoy the fights as a fight fan. But obviously, if I'm doing these type of events, I have to interact. I have to be social. And it's cool. You actually get to meet some really cool, um, cool people, which I have so far. I met some really dope people already. And to be able to do stuff like that, I think is a blessing because who knows if I would ever have met these people ever in my life, you know? So to have those type of connections or to develop those type of relationships, definitely important. And getting to see what else is out there outside of just me getting locked into a cage. And that's the only time I make money to compete um, is when I'm competing. So that was cool. This the whole fan love, the interactions with that. We did that for, I think, the NFT strike, which I'm also thinking about creating my own NFT to create my own type of events similar to that. But I think I want to do it a little bit more inclusive. Not inclusive, but 
maybe make it a little more special or unique to the sport where it's not like just, hey, we're hanging out, taking pictures. Like maybe it's like a um, private lesson kind of thing or a package private lesson or getting to come with me to the PI watching us train and getting your own private lesson type of, type of thing. Like you're spending a day or a half a day type of thing with the athlete. So these, these, these are just things that I'm like kicking and spinning my wheels around trying to figure out like what's the best way we could go about doing this and make it fun for the um, the fan supporters out there, you know? Um, other than that, we did the Flagrant Podcast, so if you did not see it, go check that out. Andrew Schultz is freaking hilarious. Alex, and I, I believe the other guy's name is Mark. Funny dude, he started doing this dance when we premiered the song, which was like, it was awful. Mark, I'm sorry, please don't do that dance anymore. It was pretty bad. Uh, but I felt like the reaction was pretty good, at least from those guys um, afterwards when we spoke about it. He was like, honestly, I thought it was going to be, can I be honest with you? I really thought it was going to be trash. I was like, thanks for telling me the truth because I didn't know what people were going to say, but I'm glad the reception was well received. I don't know if the viewers were able to hear it like all that clear through the live feed that they had, but I'm going to try to get this up. And running, my, my fiance, she wants to add like this female touch to it. So I want to get her on it. And if we could get her on it, then we could release the final project and go from there and really just release it out to the world. So hopefully, if not, I'm going to see if she's even still interested. If she's not interested in doing it anymore, then maybe I just get like one of my sisters or maybe. Um, the only difference is my, my sisters aren't Hispanic. My fiance is. So she wants to put like some Hispanic, like, I don't want to say nuances, but touches on there, you know. So I think that would make it a little bit more dope based on what it is about and make it more fun. So I'm hoping that's what we can do and then we can release that track. So thank you guys for tuning in um, for that. And uh, who else do we got? Um, we did the NFT, we did Andrew Schultz. Man, we were working like nonstop, man, just the, the grind. Always always grinding. We did the DraftKings on Wednesday. I brought workout clothes and I didn't get to work out one time. I thought I was going to at least be able to squeeze in like an hour didn't happen. Maybe a little bit of pad works, pad works, pad work. Didn't happen. Um, got to hang out with Matt Fabola a little bit on his weight cut. And I will say he does things a lot differently than how I do my weight cut. So if you watch his behind the scenes leading up to his fight versus my behind the scenes leading up to my fight, you'll see a complete contrast in styles and preparation leading into the fight. Um, but it... it not saying there's one, there's, it goes to show you that there's multiple ways that you could do things. Not that one paintbrush for all strokes or for all folks or however that um, old saying goes. Um, there's just multiple ways and avenues you can get to the final product, which is making weight, stepping on scale and getting ready to compete. So that was that. Um, congrats to him, right? Congrats to the steamroller who just went out there and flatlined the man. Uh, <laughs> the guy's a beast. So... What else do we have? Um, this week, we have Ring of Combat. We got two guys fighting on that. We got Armando. I don't know how to say his last name. It's Getcha or some shit like that. Um, we have Dylan fighting for the Ring of Combat title at Ring of Combat. And then that's also in Atlantic City, New Jersey. So if anyone's listening that's going to be down there, I will be down there. I'm probably cornering one or both of, the, both of those guys. So afterwards, I'll be able to interact. If I'm not cornering, you know, I'm going to be acting a fool, baby. So let's go. Um, and then the following day, we have Dennis Bazookia, who is going to be fighting at Maverick over in Pennsylvania. So I'll be at both those events. We're going to drive down, carpool uh, Friday morning, drive down to Atlanta City, stay there the night, wake up early in the morning, shoot out to PA and get Dennis ready for his fight as well. So 
a lot of things on the horizon for Saralonga Fight Team. You guys just saw one more prospect in Matt Favola. Finally, I think, finding his stride. Two first-round knockouts and both of them, like, under three minutes. Um, I think the last one over Gennaro was under four minutes. And I think this one was, like, under three. So, he's just a, he's a tank, man. The guy goes out. He just swings caution to the wind. And the main thing we have to tell him is, like, Matt, if you can control the chaos... You have great finishing instinct. It's just getting to that positioning. How do, how can we get you there? And I told him that after the fight when I saw him, we might have hit the blunt a little bit. <laughs> we might have hit the blunt a little bit. And I normally, I don't smoke blunts. I, I think it was a blunt. Um, hopefully it wasn't. Hopefully it was like raw papers. But we might have hit that a little bit. And um, man, I, I just like gave him like some of my insight. I'm like, obviously he's on a high now. I'm like, dude, I'm just telling you, like you have a great style. It's a fun style, fan-friendly style. The main thing is not getting caught and trying to do too much, you know. So for him, I think going out there and being himself, letting it fly, letting it all go is what he needs to constantly, continuously need to do. Constantly, continuously need to do. I don't even know. Constantly, constantly, continuously. I was going to do an alliteration, but I, I couldn't think of another word. <laughs> That's what he continuously needs to do. Just finding his range. Not standing in front. You could be crazy for Vola, but use your feints. Throw your shots to kind of gauge the distance. And when you're ready to pull the trigger, pull that pin and that, that wrist and unload the shot, it's going to be there. Um, Ottoman came forward. Uh, we'll get to that. <clears throat> um, but yeah, that's what he does best. And it's just sparring with him. I remember the first time we sparred, he came down, we grappled. And then I asked him if he could get some rounds with me. I, I don't know if I realized he was a 55er, um, but he was like closer to, close to my height. So I was like, maybe I can go with this guy. And he's new, give me a different look. And he was 6 and I was like, yeah, I'd love to see what this guy is about. Um, I'm not sure if they asked or if we asked. I think I asked him to spar. At least that's the way he remembers it he, from what he said. Um, and I think I obliged because we were close in size. And I maybe I didn't know or I did know what his weight class was. And maybe he asked me and then that's why I did it. Or maybe I didn't know and I asked him. Whatever. We got to the sparring. We rolled first. That was, I think, a couple of days earlier. And then we, we sparred or maybe a day before. And he was visiting from Tampa. And um, he's a Long Island guy, first and foremost, from Huntington. Uh, I believe he went to Cold Spring Harbor. Went to school in Tampa. That's where him and Billy Q met. And that's when they started doing their training down there at Tampa. He came down to visit. And from there, yo, my voice is still going. I'm sorry, guys, if I sound weird. But that is just what it is. It's, it's the nature of the beast. When my guys are fighting, I lose my voice. I go nuts. And um, drinking and staying up to 4 a.m. does not help. But, yeah, he came down. And I remember the first shot he threw, I felt like this whiff of speed and heat. It was just like a fireball went past my face. Like, and I felt the like my face was burnt. Like I had a scar mark from the residual of the heat that went past my face. And then I turned and I looked at him. And I said, no. Grabbed him. <laughs> Took him down. <laughs> I was like, we're going to spar right here for the rest of the duration of this sparring session. And I was like, never again am I going to let this guy hit me like that. Um, yeah, that guy's a problem. So... Best of luck to anyone who has got to fight that guy. He's a barn burner. Um, trust the process. Steamroller. He goes from the cream roller to the steamroller to the lean roller. Right now, I don't know what process he's in right now, but I'm pretty sure he's turning into big body steam right now. Um, 
Let's get into the fights. I got some fan questions we're going to jump into as well. But right now, we're going to do this part. Um, recapping the fight. We'll start with the main event. Israel Adesanya was pitching just about as close to a shutout as you can get in a title match. Let alone a rematch in a trilogy where you lost the two fights earlier. Close decisions. One decision and one by knockout in a different sport, in kickboxing. Now they're in MMA. I don't know how Pereira did it. He managed to get to a title shot relatively quick. I think Adesanya and his past might have helped speed up that trajectory a bit. But all the same, Alex Pereira can fight. And the other part about that is he's tough and he's durable, as we saw in that first round when he got clipped. Adesanya looked like he was going to get him out of there at the bell and maybe drop him and maybe the fight would have been waved off right there. But at the bell, saved by the bell. I don't know if we have like a saved by the bell thing. They did that when Marab fought Ricky Simone. The bell rang and uh, they they called it a TKO at the, after the f- conclusion of the fight. It wasn't the conclusion of the round. It was a conclusion of the fight. No one waved it off or anything and then they came back and said it was a TKO loss. I was like, that doesn't even make any sense. So whatever. This one, he stumbles him, he rocked him pretty cleanly, caught him with a nasty left hook while going backwards, and I was like, okay, this next round, this fight should be over, but it wasn't. Adesanya gathered himself, regained his composure relatively well, um, but he didn't really do anything of significance in my personal opinion in those next few rounds other than keeping the pressure on Izzy, but Izzy did a good job of using his footwork. That's what he's known to do. He's known to crash and cause the collision when guys come forward, he steps back and then he crashes it. This time, throughout the fight, Pereira trying to do that to him. Izzy finds himself on the cage multiple times, but manages to get out relatively unscathed for the most part. Landing beautiful leg kicks. Um, I really, like, I, I mean, obviously I was drinking during the fight, guys, but I can't recall too many things that Alex Pereira was doing well until the end of the fight where he finished it. And that's all that matters. All that other shit, it doesn't matter. The fight was over. He finished the fight. He did what he needed to do to win. And uh, it, it's tough, you know, because it's like, one of the, it's, that, it's that danger factor, you know, that we talked about is the ultimate equalizer in power. When someone possesses that type of power, it is special man um Izzy did everything that he could possibly do the only thing that I had much criticism about was the grappling and not utilizing that more and I felt like when he did try to grapple excuse me guys I did feel like when Izzy did try to grapple he wasn't um too comfortable or confident in that position where he had the leg up um, he had the high crotch, and it was just like um, he didn't really know what to do with the that position. That, that's the nicest way I could put it. And you could tell, like, definitely green, both guys. But when Izzy did get him down, he, he beat him up pretty good. I just feel in that third, fifth round where you get to a point where you're dominating, if you do tie him up more, you take away the chances for him to knock you out. So... I don't like referring back to me. 
But I think it makes sense for this situation. Like my fifth round with Piotr I knew he needed a knockout to win the fight. That's that's what I knew. I'm like, if they score this correctly, I know this man needs a knockout to win this fight. With a possible 10-8 in there that, for me, definite 10-8. But now, with a possible 10-8 as per whatever, uh, four minutes of control time, somehow that doesn't equal a 10-8 plus the striking damage. I don't know. But whatever. I'm not a judge, right? So, I'm thinking... The more I make this guy grapple, the less opportunities he has to land a knockout shot to end the fight immediately. So that's the way I'm looking at it. So I'm thinking if Izzy's, I'm not saying if he's smart. I'm thinking if I'm Izzy, I'm tying this man up, taking away his old faith, faithful lefty and not giving him any opportunity to land that Hail Mary blow and get me out of there, right? So... He does what he does. He entertains. He's striking, 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 but then gets caught in that fifth round with about two minutes left on the clock. Um, and it's just one of those things, man. Sometimes you zig when you should have zagged. He was on the cage again, and I think in that fight, there was probably eight sequences where Izzy was on the cage evading or trying to play like juke master and get out of there. And it's just one of those things where you got a guy who hits that hard and he's tying you up and looking for that big left hook, which he puts everybody down with. Look at the Strickland fight. Look at all these other guys. It's like he's not the fastest striker, but when he connects, it is dangerous. And respect where, respect where it is due. I thought Izzy was going to run away with this relatively easy. It looked like he was. But then again, I always said in this type of a matchup, it's so dangerous. It's like Derek Lewis fighting Cyril Gan. Anytime you have a guy like that, if you... Or the striker, Sirogan, you have to get close enough to the bomb, which is Derek Lewis, where if he connects, you're going to sleep, my man. That's just what it is. And if he traps you, it's not good. So you got to be able to tie this man up the same way I'm saying Izzy, if he was able to tie him up, it could have changed that outcome of that fight. Could have. We don't know. Maybe he gets caught in the clinch with a knee or something. I don't know. But I think the more you make a guy grapple who's known for his knockout punches, you kill the clock and you fight strategically and if you find an opening, you take it and you try to get him out of there. I know people are going to say, well, that's the difference between you and Izzy. I'm like, yeah. Say that all you want, but the only thing that matters, bro, is winning. Winning can't be denied. You can say whatever you want about Mayweather, but winning won't and cannot be denied. That is greatness. Izzy is greatness already. They have to have an immediate rematch. There's nobody else. And this time, if he loses to Pereira again, four times across the career, his both their careers, I don't know what he does. What does he do at that point? These are real questions you have to ask yourself. Pereira's a tough dude. We know he's got that punch's chance. We know Izzy was able to style on him. Does Izzy take more risk early on? Does he wrestle him early on? I don't know. It's just a dangerous matchup. Izzy isn't the strongest guy. It doesn't look like he's physically that strong because he's long, he's lanky. Pereira looks like he's strong. But Izzy's like a sharpshooter, fast. One guy's packing the power in his punch. One guy's a sharpshooter and could touch you up and piece you up from the outside and skate. I don't know what happened. I don't know if Izzy relaxed. I don't know if he got tired. But Pereira did a good job. He hurt his corner coming into that fifth round. He did what he needed to do. He cut the cage off. He threw punches and bunches. Eventually found the home, connected. I thought the fight could have gone a little bit longer, 
Izzy was funny with the Steve Mazzagatti joke, but it could have gone a little bit longer, giving him an opportunity to see if he's going to either go out on his shield or can he tie him up and survive. The, the point where he jumped in after the ref, where he jumped in after that last shot, I just thought it was a little bit premature. He could have done that earlier. And even then, I'm like, yeah, you get cracked and you it's a fight. You're going you're gonna to stumble a bit. Like, even in the back of my mind, I made sure I told my ref, which was at the time, Margotta. I'm not sure who ref that one. But I was like, dude, I talked a lot of shit, bro. If I'm going to lose, let me go out on my shield to TJ Dillashaw. That's what I told the ref. Mark got it. And he, I think he kind of like smirked at us. Like, maybe he was like, you're damn right. I'm going to let you go out on your shield. Or, um, hey, if you want to go out your shield, buddy, that's on you. I don't care. I mean, I do like in the long run. But in the moment where it's a title fight, so much is at stake, changing your life, opportunities, let me go out on my shield. Give me every opportunity, unless I'm just not moving whatsoever. But if I'm up there and I get my hands up and I'm still moving, which Izzy was doing, like, yeah, you could say he was getting hit. He wasn't there. Um, but that's a hard thing to, to, for people to understand. It's like when you get hit, you kind of get put on pause and you, you react a lot slower. So I, this has happened to me before. You get cracked and you like almost get like your bell rung. It's like, ding. So you feel like you're moving, but you're just moving very, very slow. So I think Izzy was moving where Pereira was throwing these shots and he was getting out of the way, but his reaction and movement was very, very slowed down to the point where it clears. You just get a couple of seconds where it clears and then allows you to maybe tie him up or then your, your feet all of a sudden come back to you. It's like if you played fight night and you get rocked and then, oh, the UFC game and get rocked. I'm like, oh, he's hurt. And you're literally like this and you're moving slow, but you can still cover and the screen is going dark. It's going black, but then... You tie him up and it's like, whew, now you can hear the crowd and everything is, everything's alive. That's actually very realistic to what it actually feels like. Um, I'm not going to talk about the whole bl the black thing and all that, but it does feel like everything goes like deaf, like almost like this humming where it's like clouded noise, but then you come back to reality and you're like, yeah, I'm still here, baby. I'm still here. And I think that could have happened, but we will never know. So congrats to Alex Burrow. He did his job, shut up a lot of people, and... Man, he just made this very, very interesting. Like, what happens from here? I think they do the immediate rematch. They, I, kind of, I kind of think they have to. It's a different sport. And what Izzy has done, it would be criminal if they didn't give him that shot to redeem himself. That's what I think. Next up, we got Weili Zhang versus Carlos Sparza. Now, very dominant performance from Zhang Weili. I really thought Carla, as a wrestler and a wrestler myself, I thought she would be able to defy the odds and the power and the physicality of Wei Li and get the fight to the ground, which she eventually did off of a reversal, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. But when she did that, she kind of gave, not gave up, but she got uh, got a little loose on top and allowed Wei Li to get back to her feet. And um, Wei Li did the perfect, like did some clean technique, but I do think that was more, I would have to go back and watch, but I think that was more so Carla losing the position versus everything that Wei Li was doing that was proper and technical to get it up the right way. Um, but again, I have to go back and watch that. But the way I remember, I feel like Carla just took the weight off of her and didn't settle the right way to manage to control her from that position. And you got to imagine, if she was able to stay on top for those two, two and a half minutes, that could change the fight going into that second round. But because she was not, Whaley got back up, got right back to work, and picked up where she left off. And in that second round, taking her down, crucifix position, rear naked choke. That is some high-level shit. 
high level shit. Nasty. Congrats to Wei Lee, two-time champion now as well. I don't know what's going to happen with that division. You got Amanda Lemos there. You got Thug, Rose Namajunas. Is she going to fight Wei Li Zhang after beating her twice already? One time even knocking her out. And even in that rematch, um, I think I said this on the previous podcast, and I, get, I always try to be as unbiased as I can. And I'm friends with Rose in terms of like we're cordial, her, Pat Barry. Like I, I love those guys. Those guys are so nice, um, super cool people. Um, I just felt like watching that fight, I thought Wei Li won by a very close margin. That's how I scored. I, I thought it was going to be an upset. Not an upset, but um, um, a reclaiming of the guard or the reclaiming of the throne, I should say, for Wei Li Zhang. But close fights, you know, that leaves room for skepticism. And again, I said it was a close fight. I'm not saying she definitely won. I thought she won, though. I was like, oh, she, I think they're going to give it to Wei Li. Rose won. Close fight. So now I'm like, do you do the trilogy? Do you? Or do you get somebody else in there, new blood? Do you get Amanda Lemos in there? And then if Lemos can have a good fight, now you have that gap, and now maybe Thug Rose gets back in there and challenges Wei Lee or the winner of that one with Lemos. A lot of options now in this position. I don't know what Carla Sparza goes from here. Obviously, she can still compete to make money. She's 35, 5'1". She's definitely small for the weight class, and she's a gamer. So props to Carla for just even coming back to even winning the title. Obviously, that winning of the title wasn't the most action-packed fight, but she did what she had to do. She got the nod on the judges' scorecards, and that's all that matters, right? Um, you can't blame her for that. Um, I think Rose and Carla are just closer in size, so maybe that gives her... A little bit more, I don't want to say an easy, an easier time to deal with Rose Namajunas with the wrestling versus Carlos Sparza versus Wei Li with the wrestling. I think Wei Li is just the more physical out of the three and just super strong. She's pretty stout, man. Um, so I think that's why Sparza was able to keep it close like that with Rose versus not being able to handle the physical strengths of Wei Li. Um, super one-sided fight. Again... It was fun to see a, a clean, like a dominant win where there's no room to be like, okay, this happened. This was taken from me. There's going to be none of that. She straight up won. And she won in spectacular fashion because, again, that is a super hard position to get and it's a very hard position to finish. So shout out We Lee for getting that because that is high-level shit right there from a BJJ standpoint. Next up, we got Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler. Wow, this fight from beginning to end, we all knew what we were going to get. Fireworks, baby. Both of these men brought it. Chandler, I knew early on, was going to be the more dangerous guy. He hurt um, Poirier super early. Um, I think there was some kind of a headbutt in that transition. Uh, Dustin and I actually spoke about that at his event at the Brooklyn Brewery last night. And I don't I don't remember seeing it. And again, I was a little lit. But when you're watching cage side, sometimes you're watching just the cage. And I didn't see that part. So, but on the TV, you might see it a little bit more clear. Like, oh, that's a clear, a clearly a headbutt that caused him to be to retreat a bit. And he said right when he covered up on the cage and then he got the first takedown, he said that's when it happened. Like right before that, it hurt him. It was like that was the main thing that hurt him in that fight. So I don't know if he hurt him from early on. I'm just watching and breaking down what I saw. And I saw Chandler hurt him. And from there... Uh, he got the takedown, big takedown. Chandler using wrestling, which was very, very surprising. I didn't think we'd ever see the day of that. I was like, hell must have froze over. 
but smart on his part. Very back and forth first round. And then the second round, I thought, well, I thought Poirier won the first round still because even when he got up, I, I, he got back to work and I thought he did more damage. And then you get the second round. Iron Mike comes back. He gets a big takedown. And then he gets pretty much a whole round of control time. There's some face gouging. Him putting his fingers in Chandler's, in uh, Poirier's mouth, pulling his face open, trying to get the choke. Him on top bleeding. It looked like he was bleeding the blood into Dustin's mouth and face. It was just like, oh, Chandler, what are you doing, dude? What are you doing? This is disgusting. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a fight game. You're in the heat of the moment. Sometimes you do some strange shit that you never think that you would ever do, especially when you're busted up and bleeding and you're just in a position where you're like, I don't, I don't know, man. It's a, it's a strange game. Like These emotions, they take over sometimes. And when you're in the zone, you do some things that you never think that you would ever do because it's almost like a... It, it is like a life or death type of situation. Um, obviously, you're not going to die with the ref there. He's going to stop the fight at some point because these refs are at least, uh, I don't say at least, they have some ex a lot of experience more so than others. So they would know when to step in to not allow that to happen. Um, Post-fight, some different, different story, but we're talking about in the fight. Like, it feels like it's life or death. So when you're in there, you do things that might be beside you on a regular day, and then somebody could sit you down and go, what were you thinking right here? And you could just be like, I don't even remember even doing that. Um, that was just a different mode that I was in. And that's what happens, man. You zone out. You go to a different place. You have to go to a different place so that you could go out there and put on your best performance so that you can get your hand raised. That third round, that second round was all Michael Chandler. There wasn't much to really discuss with that, but it lets you wonder... Chandler, why don't you use your wrestling more often, man? You don't always have to entertain, which now I'm going to segue into that third round. He uses wrestling. He got a big shot. Took Poirier over his head, which he didn't need to do, to put on a big show in the impact of the takedown. Poirier reverses him. That reminds me of Jared Brookings versus, uh, what's that guy's name? Jose Torres, I think his name is. Shorty Torres where I think he picks him up, he goes to take him down, and he rolls him in the middle of the air. Guys, look this up. He knocks himself out. He goes for a Matt Hughes-like takedown. As he goes to slam him, he gets rotated in the air because he jumps. He gets rotated in the air, lands on his head, gets knocked out from his own takedown. Obviously, the guy reversed him, but it's his own takedown, the impact, the speed, the height of the takedown, the force. Gets rolled and everything that he was trying to do to his opponent, it now lands on his head, head first, knocks out, cold. And that's kind of what that was with Chandler. Trying to do that, I get it. You want to entertain. You're here for a good time, not a long time. We all get it. We understand. But in that third round, when all you need to do is get a takedown, maybe you lay on him again and control the position like you did in the, in the second round. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I think that part was a little bit of a brain fart. For, um, short. I think it was a little short-sighted or an in-the-moment decision where it's like, okay, I got him right where I want him again. So let's put a... And it kind of reminds me of my fight with Jan where I jumped on his back in the fourth round after I took him down and I tried to do too much. I think Chandler just did too much. And maybe he would have gotten reversed anyway on the ground. We don't know what that third round would have looked like if he did just get an easier takedown and just settled into position. Or maybe he gets caught in a submission. We don't know. But he did too much. And guess what? Dustin Poirier. 
He capitalized on him. He's a dog. He finds his openings. He finds a way to win, and that's exactly what he did. So shout out to Dustin for finding a way to win. He did everything that he needed to do, got the job done, and from there, that third round, he was able to put it on him until he was able to get on top and then find his way to victory, get in a submission, and he got Michael Chandler out of there. And that was a, it was a very fun fight for as long as it lasted. I'd watch that every weekend if I could, but obviously we can't do that. But that's how good those two guys are. Very fun to watch. They are much must-watch TV. Um, shout out Dustin again. Thanks for the invite for having my fiance Rebecca and I down with you and your wife Jolie over at the Brooklyn Brewery for I don't even know exactly what it was. I think it was a hot sauce party is what they dubbed the name. And from there they had the hot sauce. They had his bourbon rare stash, which was actually really good. He said each barrel that they used to distill to make and produce the bourbon is different. Wow. I ne I never knew of anything like that. So the one bottle was different from the second bottle. So I took a shot of one, smooth. Took a shot of the other one, smooth. And I was like, dude, what the heck is going on? And then he broke it down to me. and was like, yeah, every one of these are different, like a little bit slightly of, I don't know if a different taste. I think that's what he said, like a different taste, but they're all brewed um, from the cask. I don't know the terminology. I'm still trying to learn what's what, like the cask or the barrel. Like they're all different, right? So shout out to you guys for um, having us down and much appreciated. I do want to say <clears throat> this next one, Heartbreaker, Frank Yeager, Chris Gutierrez. I I don't know, like, I don't want to be long-winded about this. Like, and at the same time, I don't want to take away from Chris Gutierrez. He landed the knee. That's a knee that could have hurt or knock anybody out. But obviously, you could see the way Frankie kind of fell that it was one of those, like, may, maybe it's just his durability, like... I, He's making the right decision. It's it's time for him to move on to the next phase of his life and hold his head high because there's nothing to be ashamed about. Everything he's done, 55-pound champion when he was the much smaller guy competing with these guys and doing what he needed to do, barely cut any weight, I think maybe five pounds, if that. Then fought at 45, very successful, 4-4 world title, then coming down to 135 and had a decent run as well. So shout out to Frank Yeager, man. Much respect and love to you and your family. Got to meet the wife again and say hello to the kids. Uh, I know that had to be tough for the kids to watch, uh, but it's part of the game. We, we know what we sign up for, and uh, I think they're going to be happy to know that they're going to have their dad by their side and doing all, t all things that are related to them, and Frankie is going to be around to be a part of his children's life even more while they grow, because kids remember that. I remember that not having that growing up and uh it's one of the things that that still bothers me till this day about my upbringing i would say my parents um i always really wanted my dad to be there but it's kind of a piece of you know whatever um it is what it is i'm not gonna get into my family issues right now but uh yeah, that was a tough one. Chris Gutierrez, still a problem. I think that's his fourth straight win in a row. Uh, let's see who they give him now. I did think Frankie was going to maybe catch the kick and take him down and at least stifle the position a bit. But Gutierrez gets it done in the first round. And it is what it is. It's a brutal game. Very, very brutal game. So shout out to Frankie. Definitely a Hall of Famer in everything that you've done. You are a pioneer, my boy. Thank you, my man. Dan Hooker. Claudio Polaris Puelos, what in the heck was that? I understand getting three knee bar finishes 
And I understand that is your thing. You can't just have a plan A, my brother. Claudio, I enjoy watching you fight, but that was that was a tough. That was a this is like I'm trying to give positive and real criticism here. You have to have a plan B, my man. Sometimes even a plan C. You have to know that if plan A doesn't work, get the fight to the ground because you're going to have the superiority in that position. You did manage it to get there one time where you had the leg fully extended and Dan Hooker just chilled and just kind of looked at the clock and waved. Okay, now what's plan B? You got to have something else to fall back on. Am I going to bite down on my mouthpiece and start throwing with this guy? Am I going to look to fight in the clinch and maybe control time and make it a boring fight? Plan C. Like, what are the other options that you have to win? You can't just sit on the outside looking to do an Imanari roll throughout the entire fight or butt scooting. That's just not going to help you develop. And I understand this is early on in your career in the UFC, but you have so much time to grow. The ceiling is still so high. This was a great opportunity for, uh, what's his face, for Dan Hooker to get back into the win column. Now, Puelos beat Felipe Silva, third-round knee by Marcos Mariano, decision, Jordan Levitt by decision, who's a tough grappler. He beat Levitt by decision. Chris Gudemacher, knee bar. Clay Guida, knee bar. So two knee bars in a row, but he has three finishes in the UFC of knee bars. Phenomenal. Phenomenal, as Future would say. But phenomenal ain't going to help you win over a guy who's a vet like Dan Hooker. He's, I know Islam Makachev might have made it look easy, but Makachev is a... Beast, man. That guy is nasty. And he's extremely strong. I don't know if Claudio possesses that type of power like Makachev does. But we're talking leg attacks versus taking your arms and ripping them off. That's a big difference. I'm not saying which one is easier, which one's harder. I think it just depends on the body type and the frame. You know, if I'm looking at that fight, I'm thinking Hooker doesn't have the greatest jiu-jitsu. Maybe I attack him in the upper body as opposed to attacking the legs. If that's my only way of winning, my only path... That leaves me with very few options. Dan Hooker attacking the body, staying long, faking, faking, just giving him different things to look at, trying to lull Claudio to sleep, taking the calf kicks, taking the front kicks, which eventually hurt him and put him down and got him out of there and got the TKO finish. Shout out Hooker. He needed that win. It's always good to see a, a guy like this. He's fought so many tough people, man. So for him to get back in the win column after two losses straight to Makachev and Arnold Allen, I'm sure he's riding a high right now. And it must feel really, really good for him as he hasn't had a W in a very, very long time. Um, notable matchups. Hanato Moicano, hilarious post-fight speech. He's a, you know, he is fun to watch. I really like this guy. 155 is his weight class. He lost to Dos Anjos in a short notice fight. He beat Alex Hernandez. <clears throat> Rear neck and choke in the second round. Now finishing Brad Riddell in the first round. I can't wait to see what else is in store for Renato Moicano. Moicano um, is here for, for sure. He has arrived. And I think people need to stop sleeping on the guy. If You better pay attention because he was a force at 145 until he ran into Brian Ortega and then he ran into Jose Aldo. But even before that, Look at the wins he has. Very credible. Tough dude. Veteran. 155, cutting less weight. He has a big frame. I think he's filling out now. And I think he's going to be giving these lightweights some, some serious problems. I know he lost to Fazeev, 
But I think he might have uh, just been finding his stride. I'm not saying he beats him in the next out, but I think the next time he were to fight him, I think he uses more of his grappling like he's been doing now, striking just enough to get the fight where he needs it to be. Use the grappling and dominate these fights. Put these motherfuckers away, bro. That's it. Ryan Spann, Dominic Reyes. Ah, I feel bad for Reyes, man, but congrats to Spann. Um, Aaron Blanchfield, Molly McCann. I, I had a feeling this was a bad matchup from the very get-go when this was announced. Molly, Molly McCann is a great striker. Decent grappling. But Aaron Blanchfield, come on, man. What she did to Miranda Maverick was unheard of. Something that nobody has seen. And then she goes out there and she does that to Maverick like that? You have to just go, who is this girl? Where has this woman been this whole time? And she's been flying under the radar. She ain't flying under the radar no more. That was a big opportunity for her to splash. I will say if there's any criticism, there's some things she has to do to tighten up the striking because I think she, when she's leaving her stance, she's leaving like a little bit of a window. And then when she punches, she leaves a little bit of an opening that she got cracked a couple times. Cr- let me not say cracked, but she got caught a couple times in a few of those exchanges in the early goings of the fight, like the feel-out process, you know? Uh, I think she tightens a couple things up. And she had great footwork, and she had great awareness of knowing when to shoot. I think she tightens up a couple of those things with her striking, and she's going to be a force. Because eventually, she's going to run into a beast in Valentina Shevchenko. Now 10-1. She beat J.J. Aldridge, super tough to do. Finished her. Um, Decision with Miranda Maverick. Man, she's beat a lot of people, man. The only person she lost to was Tracy Cortez. Split decision back in the day on the regional circuit. So, Erin Blanchfield has arrived. Guys, stay tuned. I'm telling you, she is the next superstar in this division. Uh, maybe not the next champ right right now. Obviously, she's still got some work to do. Maybe a fight or two away from that opportunity. I would hope they don't rush her. I want to see her develop a little bit more. Obviously, use the path of least resistance when you get into these fights. But I think for her to feel confident going into this fight with Valentina, Valentina is well-versed. She can keep the fight standing, right? Good grappler. Strong. I think Blanchfield is going to need to make sure she doesn't eat too many shots in the open space on her way to getting a takedown. Because I think she could take Valentina down, 100%. But we got to make sure we figure out how do we get there, though. That is the most important thing. Getting to the takedown and getting the takedown, two different things. You got to get there, and then you got to get it. I think once she cleans up the striking a little bit more, those entries are going to be almost seamless. Just on a defensive standpoint, so she doesn't get cracked and get hurt where maybe she, her eye is swollen. Maybe the nose gets busted. Maybe she gets calf kicked a bunch of times, and then she's compromised and trying to get the takedown now. You know? So other than that, with this fight, it was just a one-sided domination, I thought. The takedown, beautiful entry, Passing the guard effortlessly. As soon as she got the double leg, she passed right to side control. Underhook, boom, side control, near side, underhook, dominates, controls the wrist, steps over, traps the um the arm with her knee. Then she steps over into a crucifix, boom, 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 landed some big shots, uh, elbows, punches. And then she transitioned to a Kimura. Molly did everything that she could to defend, but eventually too little, too late, or too much for her, I should say. As she stepped over the head, that was game check blouses. She was not going to get out of that position unless she just 
I don't even know unless Aaron just let it go. There's just no way. So thankfully, we didn't see a dislocated shoulder. Good sportsman and McCann picking her up, showing her love. Uh, I thought that was always cool to see that. But again, Blanchfield is that girl right now. Make sure you guys tune in to watch. I'm telling you, she's going to be a future title challenger. Of course, we got to talk about Matt Favola, who steamrolled Azatar. Like we knew, like I said, we knew about this. I don't need to be super long-winded about this. We talked about this multiple times. Um, it's just a game of inches with Matt. Can he be first? Can he be patient enough to allow his opponent to throw something to give him that opening that he needs to land that old faithful right hand? But this time, it wasn't just the right hand. It was the lefty that put him down. Bink right on the chin. As Azatar pushed forward, Otman, I'm going to call him Otman because I don't know if I'm botching his last name. Otman pushed forward. He threw like a left hook or a right hook or a right and then a left, and he was so out of position. Maddie threw a punch, but then cupped the back of his head, threw the right hand, caught him on the chin. That buzzed him, but then he threw the left hook behind it, and that sent him down to the shadow realm. Clean shot on the chin. Matt Favola gets it done and steamrolls another opponent in the first round. This is just what he does. I'm telling you, he is must-watch TV. Watch this guy training. He's, I, tell him, I always tell him, like, bro, you are certified, dude. You are certified. Certified crazy is what I'm getting at. Certified. So congrats to Matt Favola. Enjoy the victory. Enjoy the downtime. Hopefully you can keep the weight a little bit, not too much cream, more lean, more steam, so that if another opportunity comes up, you could jump on it if possible because he's like me. He blows up, man, to like 190. For me, I blow up to 170. Um, two weight classes apart. So 45, I would have been 180. 55, I would have been 190. You know, so he's a big boy. So, uh, again, shout out to him. Much love to you and your family, your beautiful wife. Everybody that came out to come support the Steamroller family. The tribe was rolling deep in Long Island. From Long Island to New York City. So, shout out to the boy again. Steam Roller. Um, we're not going to talk about all these other ones. I think we're good on that. Let's take some fan questions. I got to go get some training in right now. It's 11 o'clock. I'm already late. Okay. This is from Kevin from at Stack Kevin. How do you feel about Alex being the number, the second least experienced UFC champ behind Brock? Coincidence? Right place, right time? Or is he generally that good? Also, fight Sean. Heck. Um, I would like to fight Sean. That is the money fight, I think. We'll see what the UFC decides. But um, I don't know if it's coincidence. Right place, right time is really a thing because I don't think if I think if there wasn't a rivalry between him and Izzy or a backstory, I don't think that fight actually happens. So luckily for him, he was able to get that off of a win over Sean Strickland where I felt like normally, and I think Sean was ranked number four at the time, so maybe I'm being a little unfair but I do think he would have had to have faced like a Whitaker or a Marvin Vittori. But because of that past history, they were able to just give him that fight sooner rather than later off of a highlight win. It's almost like let's get him in there now when we can build this fight versus giving somebody else that will be tough and could possibly grind him out for a decision like a Vittori or a Whitaker and uh, get the W done. And then you don't have that matchup in a title fight situation anymore. Um, do you think Izzy exposed Alex's flaws enough for other fighters to create the blueprint to beat him? His lack of grappling experience, cardio. 100%. This is from Wavy Grappler. This is on Twitter, guys. I do think he exposed him, but I it's hard for me to... I don't want to say exposed, because if you watch the kickboxing fights, these were all relatively the same type of fight. Izzy outpointed him, 
Um, this, maybe the, the, the decision fight, the first one that they had, I think Izzy should have won that. The second fight, it was more so picking up where he left off, but then he got caught with that left hand and knocked his ass out. So I think this was relatively the same type of fight. He did everything right. It's just he got caught against the cage, and, man, sometimes that's all it takes. He got caught against the cage, weaving. He was pushing his arms out a little bit, and I think that allowed for that opening for that left hook to get around and sneak across, touch Izzy's chin. And we know Pereira's not the fastest guy at that weight class. Izzy is so much faster when it comes to striking. But all he needs to do is touch you. Just a tip. And you're going down, baby. You're going down. Pause. Spirit X MMA, how hard was your recovery from neck surgery? And at any point in recovery, did you think you might not return to MMA? So right now, full range of motion. Down. Down to the right, to the left. No pain. I get a little pinching right here because of the way I slept. But other than that, no pain. Super happy. I wish I did it earlier, guys. Not all doctors are created equal. Not all surgeons are created equal. Shout out Dr. Robert Watkins Jr., the son, not the dad. The dad also does the same procedures, but the son did my procedure. They work on a ton of athletes. They did Alan Joe Bands. Um, I got a lot of good feedback from him. The, the surgery is only going to get better. I'm younger than Joe Band, so I think my recovery was not, I don't say amplified, but because I'm younger, I think my body is just held up more compared to Joe Bands. You know, obviously, Joe Bands, what I'm saying is Joe Bands has no pain. He's good. Like, his life is good right now. No pains, no issues. I feel like for him to be competing at 39 compared to me, I'm 33, it's a little bit different. I got more of a window where it's like, I got my neck fixed. I can still compete, still do this. Where for him, he's like, I got my neck fixed, but I'm still got this mileage on me. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm comparing that to. Uh, I feel good. I wish I did it sooner. No issue right now. He is. He even has a app called the Back Doctor, and this teaches you how to strengthen everything on a progression basis. It has levels. You could download that app, and I'm not selling anything. I don't get anything from this. I'm just want people to be pain free. If you do have a serious injury like this, and uh, I did think I wasn't going to return to MMA after people were starting to put those doubts in my head. And then when I got back, I healed up from the surgery. X-rays and everything looked good. And then people were, and then I was training and then I was fatiguing so fast. That's why I pulled out the Jan fight. Because I'm like, dude, I can't train like this. There's no way I'm going to fight five rounds if I can't get like my feet underneath me to go past two rounds. It's a five-round fight. Unless you guys want to see the same, sh the same shell of myself that happened in the first fight with Jan, you know? And people still don't talk about the, the reason that Jan pulled out the first fight. He pulled out of the first fight for some reason. I was going to fight twice that year, but he pulled out of the fight. Uh, I don't know why. I was in great shape. I was ready to go. Uh, <laughs> so going back to the neck, yeah, everything's good so far. I'm happy. No issues, man. If I could recommend this to anybody, he's over in California, Santa um, Marina Del Rey and Cedar Sinai Hospital, Mount Sinai Hospital, Cedar Mount Sinai, something like that. I want to take a few more questions. How do you think from Chris, Chris's, Chris ES handle? How do you think Steve Roller and Patty match up? I think that's the fight to make. Obviously, I'm going to give the edge. I'm being. This is what I would tell for Volo as well. I give the edge to Patty in the grappling department, but when it comes to striking, I think Patty has shown to be a little bit not as durable. But I think, obviously, to get that fight to that position, Favola's going to have to close the gap. 
He's going to have to hit him. He's going to have to watch out for Patty level changing or pulling guard and getting the fight where he wants it to be. So that would be a specific game plan. It would be a huge fight, I think, for both those guys and a huge test for both those guys. Because Favola, he can grapple, but obviously the guy is super creative. He had Jordan Levitt in a head and arm situation and landed a knee from the outside of that clinch that dropped Jordan and then from there put the finishing touches on to finishing that fight. So there's going to be a bunch of things that we would have to work on and making sure that Matt's well prepared for this fight. And um, again, like I said before, you got to have a plan A, plan B, plan C. You can't just go in there with one way of winning. I'm just going to touch his chin because that would be ill-advised. So we would make sure that Favola knows that we have different paths to victory. How do we get there? And how do we stay there and stay true to that game plan so that we don't fall into the traps that Patty does, which is let these guys... Um, well, whenever he does get dropped or get hurt, he ties him up and then he manages to bring the fight to where he wants it to be. So I think um, the fight with Jordan Levitt, obviously the striking, we didn't get to see too much of that. Jordan didn't touch him up and hurt him, but Jordan used a lot of energy in the clinch trying to wrestle. So there, there will be different things we'll need to imp implement into this fight if they do book it. Um, boom, boom, boom. couple questions. We'll do two more, then I got to get going. There are really people, Wulagam, there are really people out there saying Izzy doesn't deserve a rematch after losing three times to Alex. Can you please explain to people that Izzy has dominated the 185 weight class and if he, if anyone deserves a chance to get his belt back, is that man. 100% Izzy deserves a chance to get his belt back. How can you not? I mean, he's, he's pretty much lapped the, the entire division at this point, right? All the top contenders, he's lapped them. So you got to give the guy another crack at the title. And yeah, he lost him three times now. But twice in kickboxing is a completely different sport. If I lost to somebody wrestling and then they come over to MMA and they think it's going to be the same, I'm like, yo, it's a different sport. This is a clean slate. All that other shit, that goes out the window, bro. Those accolades don't matter as much. You know what I mean? How about your boy Steamroller? What comes next for him? This is from Trin Cognito. What comes next for him? I think a fight with Jakar Klaus or Bobby Green will set off a fireworks display and get him in line to start fighting the ranked dudes, guys just outside of it. I agree. Or he can keep building and making his name and, and making these highlight real knockouts. And because he's going to get paid what he gets paid to fight a higher rank guy, higher profile guy, versus fighting someone who's low on the totem pole. So if I'm Maddie, I'm taking my time unless they're going to give me a new contract and give me money, more money to fight these more dangerous dudes. But it's like, why not stack your paper, get these highlight reels, and kind of do it like a Sean O'Malley route, right? I mean, obviously he didn't come in undefeated. Well, he did actually. But he didn't come in and win like O'Malley did and, and rattle off these all these highlight real knockouts. But he's getting there now. He's in that position. He's in that place now. So if I'm him, taking my time, like, let's get me a couple more of these opponents like this that I can starch, keep, maybe get two more knockouts, and then I can command more money, more dollars, must watch Rolla, team Rolla, you know? That's what I would do. And then from there, maybe you start to call out those other guys. I think 20... 30, 2023 will be huge for him to maybe early on in the year, maybe like March, he'll fight, get another highlight reel. If it's not Patty, get another highlight reel knockout over someone else or win, TKO, whatever it is. And I think that's the way to, to go about it. Um, Hyder, 8-3, a bunch of numbers. Since Dustin B. Chandler, do you think he deserves a title at, against Islam after Vogue? I think it's between Dustin Poirier and Benil Dariush if they're not going to let Benil Dariush be the next guy or the backup for that fight. 
That's what I really think should happen. It kind of it kind of sucks. Cause I feel like poor not poor Ray Dust not Dustin. Well, I just said the two same names. I feel like Benil's been getting the short end of the stick in these matchups, and it's very unfortunate because he's so high level and he's just getting shit on, and uh, it just sucks to see. You know. Let me see some different ones. How do fighters handle being booed on the walkouts? Like what happened to Carla even at the press conference? And this is from and still annoyed. You know, I think it plays a psychological effect, but it depends on who you are. Like like Alex um, Volkanovsky said on the Flagrant podcast, because he was on there before I was, and he touched on this, and he was just saying, guys, if you're booing me, I'm going to use that energy. I'm like, oh, yeah? Okay, I'm going to show you guys, and that's how I am. That's why I went listening to Alex talking. I'm like, bro, we're very, very similar in our approach to this fight game, and I like that because I think that makes for a very, very competitive and compelling fight or even just training partners, you know? So hearing him say that really opened my eyes. Like, yeah, man, I'm not crazy for saying what I'm saying. So for Carla, I don't know. I Females are different, bro. Overall, females are different. I remember Wei Lee was upset that she got booed when she fought Rose, and it kind of took her back a bit. Maybe that's why she got knocked out in that fight. Who knows? And maybe she had to learn how to channel that energy and be like, okay, I've been here before. Now I got to use this to my advantage. And I don't know if that's what she did in the second fight or not, but you could see like when she got booed, she was kind of like, oh my God, like I'm being booed right now. What's going on kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it just depends on the fighter and the mindset. Um, Sissy Henderson, I truly believe he wasn't. Let's see. Somebody at Mark. Mark Cree, Steven, will you ever be clear to fight in New York? Would be great to see you fight in the arena. I'm going to try to email the athletic commission. Again, they told me to email the board of the health thing so that they can bring it up and try to appeal it. I think it's about time they, they really revisit this and see what we can do to make things right for everybody. Like, come on, guys. Like, I've been fighting here. When I was an amateur, there's no reason why I can't fight here as a pro. I'm fighting everywhere else across the world. Why can't I fight here as a pro? Um, I'm going to do one more. I'm trying to see. Let's get a good one. What? This is from at Dan Royer. Why not fight the champ champ who never lost the title? Henry Ciudo. Don't be scared, Funk. Uh, <clears throat> well, this guy commented. He said he just fought. He's literally waiting on offers and contracts. Only in a few cases are fights like that booked so close after one of them fights. Um, so here we go. One, Sayudo so hasn't fought in almost three years. By the time we were to match up, it would be three years, right? May of, of two years, three years ago is when he last fought. Okay. I beat Sayudo, then everyone goes, oh, you're a lucky champ. You fought a guy who came off the couch. He hasn't been training. Okay, so here comes the excuses again. I fight a guy in O'Malley. Oh, you're so much more dominant. Guys, I can't control who the number one contender is. If this division is super stacked and super deep, and I'm at the top of it with my skill set, you have to acknowledge that maybe I'm just that fucking good. And that's with not being cocky, not being arrogant. But maybe the guy who's sitting at the top of the division isn't just lucky. Maybe he's actually good. Look at the guys I've beaten. If you only saw the first Jan fight, maybe... I can, I can reason with you. You're going to go, okay, I only saw this fight. There's no way this guy can be that good. He was getting his ass kicked by this guy, and then it was a really close fight. Okay. Go back and watch our last few fights. Look at the common opponents that myself and Jan has had. They are completely lopsided in the way that I beat these guys and the way that he beats these guys. Not the same. Styles make fights. 
So again, going back to my style, it's more dominant where if I get the fights to the positions that I want it to be in, it's almost not even a fight. It's almost like I'm just kind of just like doing whatever I want, you know? So I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm not trying to be condescending. I would like to fight Sayudo, but it has to make sense. Like, I want him to fight somebody. I would like for him to fight somebody. And if this is the fight, and it's not even that. I'm trying to make the most money. If I'm going to take a risk in to losing to Sean or losing to Henry, I don't give a shit. It's all the same. It's a loss at the end of the day. But I get paid now. Pay-per-view points. So if people don't understand that this is prize fighting, I want to make the most money that I can make. I've touched on this so many times. It's almost ex it's exhausting at this point. I want to make the most money I can take for the risk I'm going to take, which is to lose the belt. The belt, the belt for me is like, whatever, bro. It's just an opportunity, an opportunity to maximize my income. So I want to do that. And if it's Jan, well, not Jan, if it's Sean O'Malley, then give me Sean. If it's Martin Cheeto Vera, Martin Marlon, give me Cheeto. If it's Henry Seydudo, give me, give me Seydudo. I don't, whatever, bro. Like, I don't care. Give me O'Malley, give me Vera, give me Seydudo. There's no ducking over here, my man. I'm here to make money. I literally just fought. I had an insane training camp. So, guys, that's what I'm saying. Give me the money fight. Let me make money. And on that note, we are out. We'll do this again next time. Uh, when, oh, one more, actually. King Sav, the savage one. When are you and Leon Edwards headed back to celebrate uh, your Jamaican championships? I'm actually going in December. I heard he was going back in December. I'm going down December 7th is the tentative schedule right now. Uh, for him, I'm not exactly sure when he's going down. I got. I'm gonna try to coordinate with him and his team and see what's up, and see if we can link and um, go about things like that. But other than that, guys, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Shout out my boy, All Luxury from Long Island. And if you want to cop some merch, go to aljamainsterling.com. We gotta make sure I plug in um, the website, and I got all things Funkmaster on there that go straight to myself and my team, not going to the UFC and all these other people who sell my shit for for these knockoff stuff that aren't my stuff. I mean, it's not really a knockoff. They're just taking my shit and not giving me a cut of anything. Kind of messed up, right? Um, taking advantage of the fighters. At least the UFC is giving us a platform. Shame on you guys. Uh, other than that, thank you guys. If you like my shit, subscribe to my shit or spin it. Back fish, baby. See you guys later. Peace.